Hello and welcome. I'm Megan Crabtree and one of my favorite times of the day is when I'm getting ready and can throw on a true crime case without distraction. Every week we dive into a new case while you grab your makeup, sip your coffee, and get ready with murder. It's January 26, 2011 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania during a blizzard and you decide to run downstairs at your apartment complex to the gym and just get a quick workout in. You are just getting done with your workout, exhausted, and ready to go back up to your apartment, grab a shower, and spend the evening with your fiance. But when you get up there, the door is surprisingly locked. And not just locked, but latched from the inside of the apartment. Now, this is strange because your fiance knew that you were coming back up to the apartment directly following your workout. So there was no reason for her to have latched the door shut on you. You try calling and texting your fiance's cell phone relentlessly to no avail. She's not picking up. At first, you think this is some kind of weird prank and you're just not in the mood for it. But then it started to become worrisome. After a while of trying to get in the front door, you decide to break the door down. And that's when you discover your fiance's lifeless body on the kitchen floor. This is the mysterious death of Ellen Ray Greenberg. Ellen Ray Greenberg was born on June 23rd of 1983 in New York City to Joshua and Sandra Greenberg, who both worked in the dental field. Growing up, Ellen's father described her as a girly girl who was also very athletic. He said that she had just a really incredibly kind and nurturing soul, and because of those characteristics, Ellen ended up going into teaching elementary education. Ellen went to Penn State and graduated with a communications major, and she was considering going into speech pathology when she ultimately decided to go to Temple University to be a teacher, later graduating with her master's certified in reading specialty. In 2007, Ellen was set up on a blind date with a man named Sam Goldberg. He proposed in June of 2010, and they were just head over heels for each other, you guys. Sam was a TV producer for NBC, and the pair just immediately hit it off. Ellen's parents absolutely approved of their relationship and really saw just how much Ellen loved and adored Sam. Ellen and Sam were sharing an apartment together in Manayunk, Pennsylvania at this time. On the morning of January 26, 2011, a blizzard was coming in and there was snow forecasted for a while. Ellen was on her way to her teaching job when she called her mom to chat about just their typical day. They discussed taxes and the snow that Pennsylvania had been getting and then Ellen hopped off the call to head into work. Once there, it didn't take long for the blizzard outside to really start accumulating, and Ellen's district would end up calling off school early that day. Ellen stuck around until she got all of her kids sent off with their rides, and then she made a stop at the gas station on her way home to fill up her car. Once she got home to the apartment her and Sam shared, they hung out for a little while, and then around 4.45, Sam decided that he was going to run down for a quick workout. I have to throw in this really odd detail about his workout, though. He left in Timberland boots to go to the gym. I mean, I'm not a huge workout buff by any means, but I definitely don't support boots in the gym. (laughs) Granted, yes, there was a full blizzard happening outside, so maybe he was planning to change into his gym shoes when he arrived, which would make sense, but there is not evidence that he actually did that. So like I said, Sam was just planning a quick workout. He really wasn't gone long at all. It was between 5.15 and 5.30, just 30 to 45 minutes since he had left, that he was back at the apartment attempting to unlock the door. Only the door was latched and bolted from the inside. For nearly an hour, Sam was trying to get inside of his apartment, calling, texting, even emailing Ellen to get her to open the door. Initially, he's irritated, right? Like he even goes down to the lobby to this 
security guard, Phil, and he asks him to help him get inside of his apartment. Sam tells Phil, like, hey, I am going to have to break down the door if you don't help me get inside of my apartment. And Phil is basically like, it's against my job's policy to do that, so you're kind of on your own. So as the time continues on, Sam goes back on up to his apartment, and it's freezing outside. He's been doing this for an hour. He decides... I'm over this. I'm going to break the door down and get inside. Upon breaking into the apartment, Sam is immediately startled with the view of his fiance's lifeless body laying on the floor of their kitchen. Sam would later tell the 911 dispatcher that Ellen was laying flat on her back, but when first responders arrive, they describe Ellen's upper body as slightly propped up against the cabinets and her legs were sprawled out in front of her and she was kind of slumped over. She was fully dressed, holding a white towel in her hand and a pair of glasses laid next to her on the floor. So like I said, a call had been placed to 911 by Sam and that was at 6.33 p.m., which would have been just a mere minute or two after he was able to break into the apartment. The call itself is pretty difficult to listen to. Sam is clearly in a state of panic, explaining when he returned to the apartment that it had been locked and he had to break in. And when he broke in, he found his fiance bleeding everywhere on the floor. The dispatcher asks him if he can tell what happened to her. And Sam kind of responds that he can't figure out where she's bleeding from later saying that he thinks that maybe she's bleeding from her head. And the dispatcher asks if maybe she could have slipped and fell. And he responds basically like, yeah, maybe. And that her face was actually a little bit purple. Now, While Sam is on the phone with the dispatcher, you can hear her asking him if he knows how to do CPR. And Sam responds that he doesn't. He doesn't know how to do CPR. And the dispatcher then starts to direct him on how. As Sam leans over his fiance to begin CPR, he removes her shirt and he can now see a large knife protruding from her chest. It's at this point that the dispatcher tells him to stop the process of CPR due to the knife. And Sam says something a little weird here. He tells the dispatcher, quote, oh my gosh, she stabbed herself. She fell on a knife. There's a knife sticking out, unquote. The dispatcher responds, quote, is the knife still inside of her? And Sam would respond that, quote, yes, he didn't take it out, unquote. I know Sam is in a super panic state in this moment, but his commentary really struck me as odd regarding how the knife got into his fiance's body. He immediately said that she stabbed herself or that she fell on it. And this was just so weird to me. I know my first reaction to seeing my fiance on the floor wouldn't be that they stabbed themselves. I would honestly automatically assume walking into that scene that she was attacked, but I am big of giving the benefit of the doubt. Not everyone is going to respond the same way that I would. I just really am curious. What are your thoughts like specifically for his initial first reaction to seeing Ellen with a knife inside of her. I just find it odd that he immediately jumped to the fact that she did it to herself. Anyway, he continues to respond to the dispatcher's questions and explains that there was no sign of a break-in within their apartment and then they would hang up. Now, before paramedics were able to respond to the scene, Sam had also began calling family members after hanging up with 911. Sam called his cousin and his uncle. And what is interesting about this is that Sam's uncle was actually Judge James C. Schwartzman. Yes, you heard me correctly. I said judge. This uncle ends up arriving one minute prior to the paramedics. I don't know, man. Did he live in the apartment around the dang corner? Like, how did this guy just pop up so quickly? I find it a little bit sus. So when the first responders do arrive, they find Ellen propped up on the floor against the kitchen cabinet. There's blood absolutely everywhere, and it is clear immediately that there is just nothing that can be done to save Ellen's life. She was pronounced dead at 6.40 p.m., less than eight minutes from the time that Sam placed that 911 call. 
Now, first responders would look around and notice a knife block set on the kitchen counter directly next to the sink, kind of like turned over on its side. And two of the knives had fallen out and they were actually sitting like inside of the sink. There's also a strainer on the counter that had an orange and blueberries inside of it. And it looked like Ellen had been preparing a fruit salad whenever this event took place. There wasn't actually any blood really on the knife block or the countertop themselves. Rather, it was all pretty much surrounding Ellen on the floor contained in that general area. Everything in the apartment in general is tidy and didn't look disturbed really at all. Just like Sam had mentioned on the phone, there wasn't any sign at all of a break-in in in the apartment itself. Outside of the kitchen area looked completely normal and nothing of value was missing from the apartment. They don't see any signs of struggle in the apartment outside of where Sam had forced himself into the door. There was one other point of entry for the apartment, but it wasn't somewhere you could access easily from the ground level. You see, they lived on the sixth floor of their apartment building and where this slider door was, it was basically just a door with a ledge. There wasn't any way to enter or exit the actual building to get to the ground floor that way. So it was incredibly unlikely that someone was able to break in through that apartment side door. Also, keep in mind that there is just this massive blizzard going on right now outside of their apartment, right? Like this was why Ellen was home early that day in the first place. Well, even if by some wild chance someone was able to get up the side of the building, there was fresh snow from the storm coating that ledge where the door was. And it was totally undisturbed. So investigators ruled out that theory pretty quickly. Now it's important in this case to note that Ellen was on three different prescription medications, Xanax, Klonopin, and Ambien. And she was instructed by her doctor at the time to keep track of her moods in this like notebook while she was taking these medications. Now, unfortunately, I could not find any access to her notes in my research, but I can tell you why the doctor would require her to do that. All three of these medications can have a wide variety of effects on you, your thoughts, and your actions. I want to specifically touch on Ambien because I had a personal experience with this drug that I will never forget because of how much it scared me. A little over a year ago, I was hospitalized and during that time, I asked the nurse to give me something to help me sleep because it was impossible to sleep in the hospital. If you've ever stayed in the hospital, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So the doctor gave me Ambien and now I had heard different wild stories about people taking this medication, but I kind of just figured if it's going to help me sleep, I'm probably in the safest setting to take this. So I'm going to go ahead and do it. You guys, never in my life have I experienced what I did on Ambien. Within 30 minutes, I was hallucinating these forest animals surrounding my bedside, strumming guitars, and playing banjos. And there was even like this bear that was stroking my head so that I could fall asleep. And it was so real. I was like halfway in my right mind, but mostly confused at how all these animals got into my hospital room until I woke up the next day and I was like, well, I'm literally never taking that drug again. So all of that to say that Ambien specifically, especially if mixed with Xanax or Klonopin, it could have an interesting effect on Ellen and her mental state if she had been taking it at the time. And we'll get to more of that later. The medical examiner got to the apartment about two hours after Ellen was pronounced dead. And the first thing that he noticed specifically was that 
Ellen really had no defensive wounds at all. There weren't any cuts or bruises on her arms or hands like one would expect if they had been putting up a fight against someone. Now, Ellen's time of death was pronounced at 6.40 p.m. when the first responders arrived to the scene, but obviously this wouldn't be the exact time that she was killed, though the window in which the time for when she could have been murdered was really not big at all. Sam had left for the gym at 4.45 and returned between 5.15 to 5.30. Now, Yes, he was locked out for an hour, but if someone had gotten into the apartment and murdered her, the window would have been really short. Like we're talking 30 to 45 minutes total. When police were investigating the apartment, they would also find Ellen's cell phone on the nightstand in their bedroom. And so one of the very first things that they did was go through her phone to see if they could corroborate Sam's story. So her last text was sent around 3.47 p.m. to a friend, verifying her for sure being alive at that time. Investigators would confirm nine messages sent from 5.32 to 5.54 p.m. from Sam's phone. They were all just really short messages, honestly, exactly what you would think. Messages that were sent in like rapid fire succession, basically like WTF Ellen, where are you? Let me into the apartment. You know, neighbors told police that they didn't hear anything. No screams, no weird noises. Reportedly, she was alone in this apartment, according to Sam, when he had left to go for the workout. She had no defensive wounds and there was zero sign of a break-in. So investigators on the same evening that they discovered Ellen's body would rule her death a suicide. There are so many red flags here, you guys. First of all, her autopsy hadn't even taken place yet. There was no autopsy. I don't know how many true crime stories you've listened to, but ruling a suspicious death without an autopsy is not only irresponsible, but it's ignorant. To me, it looks like investigators latched onto the fact that Ellen was taking some prescribed medications for her mental health, and they decided to run with that. Don't even get me started here. People should be allowed to help themselves with their mental health without the surrounding stigma of judgment that tags along with that. Should they consider her being on these medications in their investigation? Absolutely. Is that the deciding factor on her very mysterious death? No. Not at all. Now, with all of that being said, no, we do not know the last note that she left in that journal regarding her medications and how they were affecting her mental health. All we do know is that the last journal entry was from 10 days before her death. So could there have been something potentially in there that led investigators to believe that she was suicidal in that journal? Possibly. But again, I still have so many issues with them immediately just ruling this a suicide without a complete and thorough investigation. Like for goodness sake, at least get the autopsy back first, you know? It is noted that in December 2010, so just a couple weeks before her death, there were some troubling searches on her computer that I think also heavily played into them immediately ruling this a suicide. The searches on her computer would consist of suffocation, suicide methods, sex fantasy death, Zoloft, Prozac, sertraline, sertraline weight gain, depression, bath death, electrocuted to death while trying to Twitter in the bath. That one's a little weird. Quick suicide, euthanasia, painless suicide. Okay. These are absolutely not normal things to be searching. But then again, if someone searched my computer, they definitely wouldn't think I was searching normal stuff either. I have a true crime podcast. So there's that. Anyway, Sam had stayed at the scene for a while during this time, and he was eventually taken down to the station for questioning, and he was accompanied, of course, by his judge uncle. Ellen's parents, they were in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and when they received the call about their daughter, they could not get to her. Guys, remember, there is an actual blizzard taking place outside. I can't even 
fathom how they would feel in these moments because I know there's nothing that I would want to do but get to my baby and they're being prevented by this weather. So early the next morning on January 27th, Ellen's parents talked with the investigators over the phone since they weren't able to get there quickly. Sandra, Ellen's mom, would tell investigators that she spoke with Ellen the morning of her death and it was a totally normal conversation. She explained that there really wasn't anything at all that was alarming to her regarding Ellen's mental state and what it could have been at that time. Now, with that being said, Sandra and Josh did mention that outside of that conversation, they were aware that Ellen had been struggling with something. They couldn't put their finger on what it was, but it seemed like anxiety, being insecure, and just like unsure of herself in general. And they told investigators that this was just not at all like their daughter. Before Ellen died, she actually told her parents that she wanted to move home to them, which is a little odd. She told them that it had nothing to do with Sam and that everything was okay on that front, but it actually had to do with her job. She told her mom and dad that she was just super stressed out in her teaching job and needed a break of some kind. Now, her parents know how hard Ellen had worked for this career, right? This was her first teaching job and she worked really hard to get there. So while they understood that she needed a mental health break for herself, they also wanted her to see a psychiatrist just to make sure that she didn't need any additional help before she decided to come home. So when this happened, Ellen had only actually seen her psychiatrist three times. She saw her on the 12th, the 17th, and the 19th of January. So just days before she died, she had another appointment scheduled for the 27th, the day following her death. And the psychiatrist said that Ellen presented with severe anxiety that she had been experiencing for two months, which would explain the medications that she had been recently put on. The psychiatrist went on to say that her anxiety was stemming from her job, just like her parents had said. She felt overwhelmed and pressured in general at work, and she was also having some issues with certain children in her class, causing her to try and determine what to do about it and if she should just quit her job entirely. Now, the psychiatrist did express that Ellen hadn't given any signs that she was suicidal and didn't confess any type of suicidal thoughts during any of their sessions. Ellen would be asked in these sessions if Sam had been abusive at all, and Ellen would completely deny that there was any physical or verbal abuse taking place in their relationship. So, Ellen's parents knew that if she decided to leave her career, like all of her bases would be covered by seeking that professional help and really keeping her as level-headed as possible for what her next best move was. But what's just odd to me is like, what was Ellen's plan moving forward with Sam? She told her parents many times that the reason she wanted to come home didn't have anything to do with Sam at all. In fact, their save the dates had actually just went out days prior to her death and their wedding was set for that summer. She had a wedding dress, you guys. She acted like her going home to her family wouldn't affect her relationship, but I wish that we could talk to her and figure out what exactly was her game plan. Did she want to just temporarily move in with her parents, just go for a short visit? Was she planning on asking Sam to come with her? I just have so many questions about her thought process during that time because like, while I get it, Sometimes just going home to your parents is that place you need of comfort to clear your head and figure out exactly what you want to do. Obviously, it wasn't a clear thought process though, you know? Now, the autopsy would finally take place and this is where things start to get really weird, you guys. We obviously know about the large knife that was protruding from Ellen's chest when Sam found her, but the medical examiner would also find that not only did Ellen have multiple stab wounds on her chest, but she also had 10 stab wounds in the back of her neck, 
one in her abdomen, and a large gash in the back of her head. In total, there were 19 stab wounds alongside that large gash. And a few of those wounds were like super shallow. I'm talking like really small, like the tip of a pencil, but not all of them were that way. The knife wound in her chest, for example, was four inches into her chest. Also, the knife in Ellen's chest when she was discovered, well, it was a knife from her knife block that I had mentioned earlier. What's really strange is that this knife had a serrated edge, but the medical examiner would describe almost all of the stab wounds as having smooth edges. The doctor also noticed that during the autopsy, there were a ton of bruises all over Ellen's body. And what's strange is that they were all in different stages of healing, which means that she didn't acquire all of these bruises at the time of her death since they were healing at different levels. Now, the autopsy would finally be completed and investigators would end up changing their stance on what happened to Ellen, at least initially. The medical examiner would rule her death as a homicide. We have a lot of problems now though, because the crime scene itself was not secured whatsoever. The property manager at the apartment complex was told that they could clean up the entire crime scene. Sam and his uncle actually returned back to the apartment and went in and took whatever they wanted from the apartment. Like, long story short, there is no crime scene anymore. It was wiped clean, and there wasn't anything left to go back to and investigate now that the medical examiner was saying that it was a homicide. Now, on Friday, January 28th, the police department would get a warrant to go back and investigate the crime scene after the medical examiner ruled a homicide from Ellen's autopsy. But it wouldn't matter because, like I said, there just wasn't a crime scene left. It had not only been been professionally cleaned at this point, but Sam and his family had returned and they took whatever they wanted. There wasn't anything left to investigate. That day would also be the day of Ellen's funeral. And now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, holy cow, she literally just died. I thought the exact same thing, but her and her family are actually Jewish and it's custom practice to bury the dead as quickly as possible following a death, which is tricky because of clearly how Ellen died. But still the mystery of like, was this a homicide or suicide? You kind of lose the ability to continue to investigate that once her body is in the ground. At the funeral, the relationship between Ellen's parents and Sam would start to get complicated. Ellen's dad would actually tell Sam, quote, you know that you're the prime suspect, unquote, to which Sam would start crying and walk away from them. Remember earlier how I told you that Sam had went down to the lobby to try and get the security guard, Phil, to help him get into his apartment? Well, Sam had actually told investigators that Phil accompanied him back to the apartment when he decided to break the door down. The only problem with his story is that it's not true. Phil tells investigators that he never went back up to Sam's apartment with him after he told him in the lobby that he couldn't help him. And Phil's statement was backed up by security video that he really was never with Sam. So why was Sam lying about this? And obviously, if I was Ellen's parents, I would consider him a prime suspect too. The following month in February of 2011, investigators would backtrack once again and officially rule Ellen's death as a suicide. So recap, the day of her death, they ruled it a suicide. Autopsy comes along and the medical examiner, who is actually classified to make these decisions, rules her death a homicide. Well, February of 2011, they go back and they kind of pressure the medical examiner to change his ruling. Basically, they had this like unofficial meeting and were kind of like, yeah, 
this was a suicide and you need to change what you put on the autopsy. So that's not fishy at all. They would tell Ellen's parents that they were essentially reasoning that it was a suicide because of the state of Ellen's mental health after speaking with Ellen's psychiatrist. The problem here is, like I said, before she never expressed any type of suicidal thoughts at all in any of her sessions with her psychiatrist. And she also never had any signs that there were even any issues with Sam. So Ellen's toxicology report would come back a few weeks later, and she did have low doses of clonopin and Ambien in her system, but it was small amounts and she wasn't over-medicating at all. Now, it is important to note that the meds she was on do have the side effect of suicidal thoughts. She had only been on these meds for a very short amount of time, which again is why her psychiatrist wanted her to journal all of her feelings on those medications in that notebook so that they could have a guideline on how she was feeling and if she had any sudden suicidal ideations. And that is a possibility. Now, signs would also point to a suicide when an analysis of the bloodstains came back and only turned up Ellen's DNA. What most people, myself included, have a hard time reasoning with is the angle of all of these wounds that Ellen had. If you look up a picture of the diagram of where Ellen was wounded, I mean, it looks really difficult for her to not only have inflicted all of these wounds onto herself, but also the amount that were there. And here's what's really weird. There was one specific wound that went into her spine and very well could have paralyzed her, which brings up the next question of if she paralyzed herself. She obviously couldn't have kept stabbing herself in the process if she did. Clearly, someone would have had to have delivered the final knife wound to her chest if she did paralyze herself. So they did hire an outside neuropathologist who did more of just what I want to say is like an informal examination on Ellen's spinal cord. And this doctor was just kind of like, well, there really isn't a defect of the spinal cord. Basically, the doctor said that Ellen could have lost sensation during that wound, but that she likely wouldn't have lost all of her motor function. It's still really hard to believe that she could have given herself that final stab wound to the chest that ultimately killed her, though. Also, I want to be clear that this doctor did not thoroughly investigate Ellen. She was just more passively giving an answer or a guess regarding what happened. Now, years after Ellen's death, a doctor named Dr. Ross, he did thoroughly investigate and determine that the wound to her spinal cord would have actually rendered her unconscious, which obviously would have meant that she couldn't have inflicted that final wound to her chest. This neural pathologist said that the wound in the sample that remained from Ellen's spinal cord that he investigated is a post-mortem wound or one that was administered after she was dead and had no pulse. He said, if you consider that this was not the last wound because the knife was found in her chest, you'd have to then agree that Ellen, while she was dead, somehow proceeded to stab herself in the back of the head, pull the knife out, and then stab herself in the chest, all without a pulse. He also noted that there were signs that she was strangled. And not only that, but all of the bruises that were found on her body were clear signs of beatings. Beyond that, blood patterns would show that it looked like her body had been moved after she died, which would conclude that all of the evidence, in his opinion, it pointed to homicide. Over time, Ellen's parents started to hear rumors about Ellen and Sam's relationship. A lot of Ellen's friends were coming forward and explaining that it seemed as if Sam had started becoming really controlling over Ellen. If her friends were like inviting her out somewhere, her response to going would always include verifying with Sam, basically like if she was allowed to go. And Ellen's parents described that she was a leader 
later. And this was just completely out of her behavior to submit to her partner's answers rather than thinking for herself. I also want to note that when the crime scene was jeopardized and Sam was allowed back in to take out his personal belongings, he and his uncle, who remember is a judge, took a lot of Ellen's things and only some of that ended back up with the police. One of those things would be Ellen's purse and inside of that purse was a receipt for gas that day that she died. She had filled up her gas tank and this really catches Josh and Sandra, Ellen's parents, off guard because who fills up their gas tank? if they're planning on going home and killing themselves that night. It's weird, right? And while Ellen did express that she was anxious at work, following her death, another teacher would take over her classroom and everything was in working order. Ellen had her entire classroom plans organized, grades were turned in. Even if she was experiencing stress within her job, it was not affecting her performance at all. So Ellen's parents would continue to investigate their daughter's death with their own private investigator. They would collect all of Ellen's records and a year following her death, they would get these records to a new doctor to do a thorough investigation on their own. Now, he notes some interesting things. One, it's rare for someone in general to commit suicide by stabbing themselves. But two, if they do, it's incredibly unlikely that they will actually stab themselves through their clothing, which I thought was interesting. His opinion after his investigation was that the manner of Ellen's death was, quote, strongly suspicious of homicide. Ellen's parents would use this information to try and get their daughter's death investigation reopened. They do get a meeting with the Philadelphia DA's office, but it would basically be a total bust. Josh and Sandra raised the theory that Ellen may have been killed in like a blitz attack, which is basically being caught off guard and killed, and that would explain her lack of defensive wounds. Also, remember the lock that Sam had to bust through in order to get back into the apartment because it had been latched from the inside? Well, Josh and Sandra's PI, he would go and do his own research on this lock, and he determined that it was actually really easy to lock and unlock this type of latch from the outside of the apartment. He also notes that the lock was still intact and attached to the door, which means that it wasn't really as damaged as he expected it to be, just according to Sam's story. Basically, every expert that Ellen's parents sought out help with, they would all agree that Ellen's death was a homicide. In August of 2022, Ellen's parents spoke to Fox News and gave them more information about why they believed that their daughter's death was a homicide. They said she had defensive wounds on her wrist that went unacknowledged in the original autopsy. Her body had been moved, and her left hand was gripping the knife in her chest, although she was right-handed. Evidence also suggested she suffered stab wounds from two distinctive knives, they said, but only one was found in her chest and recovered. I find all of that incredibly interesting. There is so much evidence just in that one statement that has not been brought up at all in this investigation. In September of 2022, the Chester County District Attorney announced that it would be reviewing Ellen's case. But just the following July, they would release a statement saying it no longer could review the case because of an unspecified appearance of a conflict of interest. And so while Ellen's case is still classified as a suicide, it's clear that this case is not closed and Ellen's parents fight for their daughter's case to be reopened every day. I'm sure you're also wondering what happened to Sam. Well, everything that I could find showed that he went on, he lives in New York City with his wife and two kids, and he's still a producer for NBC. So it seems like he's just living 
a totally normal life at this point. I'm, oof. Ellen's case is so rough. It's, it's rough. I do not believe that she committed suicide. Suicide is tricky in and of itself, but I want you to stop and think a minute about stabbing yourself. Think about the mental anguish that would take to physically push a knife into your body. And not only to do it once, but to do it 19 times. All of the additional evidence that Ellen's parents have found throughout the years, it just it does not add up to her being suicidal. I struggle with anxiety and depression. That doesn't mean I'm suicidal. I'm on medications as well. I mean, if this happened to me and people looked at my background and only based my death on medications I was taking, that's heartbreaking because I don't feel like Ellen got remotely any justice for what happened to her. I think Sam and Ellen were in an abusive relationship. Probably didn't start that way, but over time, I think it became verbal. And then I think it became physical, which would be evidenced by the bruising on Ellen's body. I think that Sam probably lost his temper and went into a fit of rage and killed her. The overkill is crazy in this case. I don't believe for one second that Ellen did this to herself. So what do you think happened to Ellen Greenberg? Well, guys, that's the case for today. I hope you enjoyed getting ready with me today, and I hope that you have the best day ever. Stay aware and stay safe out there. Bye. 